for listening to our podcast, recorded live at Gateway Church Ashford. You can find out more about us on our website, gatewaychurchashford.co.uk. Thanks ever so much. It's great being with you. It's a real joy to be in your worship, sense of uh, the nearness of God, your personal intimacy with him. It's just a joy to be part of this morning, just to be a brother amongst you and enjoying God together. It's great to see the room more and more full Whoops! each time I come. And uh, it's a delight to know that you're uh, on course with God for the next phase. And I'm so pleased to be invited to uh, speak into, into that. Just to mention, there are a few books. I just mentioned them. The Spirit-Filled Church is setting out really a kind of broad picture of what God, we feel God wants in his church by his Spirit uh, many, many aspects of what it is to be a spirit-filled church. Uh, God's lavish grace, it's one of our key themes, really. Our acceptance, which has been very much part of our worship this morning. Uh, that basis of uh, uh, it's a finished thing, it's done, God's done it. How to sustain a life of grace also. Uh, we can so easily drift back into uh, kind of trying to prove our worth it's important to stand in grace. So just recommend those to you. And uh, I brought one or two of Wendy's books. I'm not sure where these books are. Somewhere down there uh, um, afterwards when you're having coffee and fellowship. And uh, this, uh, you may say, I'm not really much of a reader. Uh, well, if that's the case, this is ideal for you. It's one of those books that's got like two pages or three per chapter. So it's, uh, the, the publishers came to Wendy and said, we'd, we'd like a book that could just be on the coffee table or at the bedside, just to give uh, a real awareness of Jesus in our lives, all kinds of experiences. And so Wendy's written some, I think, really fun chapters uh, about all sorts of things, lotions and potions, a daughter's decision, in praise of older women, sisters, <laughs> wedding anniversaries, notes on worship, babies, daffodils and other smells. Uh, Rugby for Grandmas. I mean, it's just a fun, fun book. It'll make you chuckle. One or two of them make you actually weep a bit. I found when I first got it on my desk, my uh, secretary put it through to me. And I couldn't stop reading one after another, one after another. They're, it's just a great, a great book. And there are one or two other titles there. So please take advantage of that. And uh, we're going to turn now, please, to Ezra, Ezra and chapter 1. I'm more than happy to uh, come into this theme that you've been uh, living with, I'm, I'm, I'm understanding. We always felt when God started to stir our hearts that he was looking for something fresh in his church, that the word restoration was uh, a buzzword, if you like. It really uh, was saying what we were after. Obviously, we long for revival, we long for the outpouring of the Spirit. There's a great need of reformation of theology and so on. But what I wanted so much in my heart was a restored church, a church that looked like the church did in the book of Acts, that was thoroughly recovered. It was like early Christianity with all its excitement, a sense of the immediacy of God, the power of God, the community of people. I mean, the church in the Bible looked so different, to be honest, uh, to the church I was born again into. didn't get saved till my late teens, uh, my parents were not Christian. I had no Christian background at all. I, I just started going to uh, really a good, a good Baptist church, a lovely Bible teacher, um, wonderful pastor. Uh, but, you know, he used to say on the wall, do not speak in the sanctuary. And uh, it was all very formal. And uh, when I came out of a pagan world, which I was very entrenched in, 
I mean, how do you learn to become a Christian? I'd like to talk to somebody, but don't talk and shake hands, go home, come back next week. And uh, I longed for a kind of a community of people that could know one another, like the New Testament church. We've got over 40 one another instructions. Love one another, pray for one another, confess your faults to one another, encourage one another, one another, one another. We're not doing any of that. None of that. And then the Holy Spirit started getting poured out. Whoa, we don't have that either. So, hey, we need to restore the church. That became a passion, a longing, that we might see a restored church. And the story of Ezra and Nehemiah is really about going back to a city that had been destroyed and needed to be rebuilt. And, and these guys were away in captivity when the time of captivity came to an end. Jeremiah had said it will last 70 years. We maybe need to back up a little more. Just say, well, what was it to be in the land, in the city? Well, originally, God made a people, Adam and Eve. He gave them a place to dwell, a garden, a beautiful setting. He gave them some blessing and some prohibition. This is all yours, but don't do that. This is all yours, but don't touch that. And if you do touch that, you're out. And the tragedy was, hey, they did, and they were out. And then God began to work a purpose again. It's like a, another way, another, and he, he began to put before them like another, another opportunity to start again. And it was the land, the, the promised land. And it was a bit like the original creation in that he said, my smile's always on it, my presence will always be there, like in Eden, my presence will always be there. And he said, there'll be vineyards you've not planted, be cities you've not built, it's like it's already created. It's like a new creation. And, and I'll, I'll be blessing it, and my rains will fall on it. It'll be fruitful. It's like, here we go again. It's God is making another new creation. Come on, I want you to enter in to this new creation that I'm giving to you, to start again. I'm going to bless you. And then he said to them, now listen, there are here. And as they went into the land, it's like two mountains. And they said, all the blessings, the blessings, the blessings. And sadly, the curses, the curses, the curses. If you go in and keep walking with me, I'll bless you. I'll bless you so much. But if you go after other gods, and if you, no, 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 I'll have to, like Adam and Eve, I'll have to throw you out of the land. And as the story goes on, because the Bible's one whole story, though it's many books, it's one whole story. Prophet after prophet said, stop doing what you're doing. Stop going after these other gods. Stop, stop. Your social injustice is horrific. You're joining field to field. You're grinding the face of the poor. You're just going worse and worse and worse. And ultimately comes Jeremiah and says, it's no good, you're out. And they're thrown out again. So it's like, oh, it's like paradise lost again. We've lost it again. And the book of Ezra and Nehemiah is about the 70 years are up. Jeremiah's 70 years. It's going to be 70 years. You're out of here. And then God will start again. He'll start again. He's going to give another chance. And the book of Ezra, I love Ezra and Nehemiah because it's about having another start, a fresh start, getting back into the land of blessing, the land of promise, the land of where God is. Is where God's presence was. That was that Old Testament understanding, is where God's presence is. Yeah. They said in one of the Psalms, they said to us, sing us one of the songs of Zion, you captives. They said, how can we sing the songs of Zion in a strange land? 
Then you get these wonderful other songs. The Lord's turned again the captivity of Zion. We're like those who dream. We're going back into. We're going back into. And beloved, I felt that God's been doing that in, a, in our lifetime, that the church has started coming alive again. And you find, when we first started, well, little pockets here and little pockets there. But now no, there's another one. There's another church there. There's another church there. And there's a group there. And I've seen church after church started with tiny little groups in homes, like 20 people, 10 people, 15 people. And now they're in big buildings with two or three hundred and three thousand. And it's just happening and happening and happening. I've just moved back to Sussex where we first started. Well, Wendy and I first started. And yeah, we were little churches. The one in Hastings used to have 14 people in a basement. And Don, the leader, said, we had 14 till Terry came. Then it went to 10. And uh, <laughs> they've got like 500 now in a massive warehouse. And I remember when they, 24 of them moved along to Eastbourne. I was there on their second week. 24 people in a circle. They've got just under 1,000 now in a huge warehouse. In Brighton, we started with 38 people. Now they've got a huge warehouse. In Mid-Sussex, we started in Nigel Riggs' home. Just a handful. Now we've got a big warehouse, hundreds of people. That, all, all over, God is raising up. He's renewing his church. His presence is coming. Are people getting formed? People saying, come on, we're in this. We mean business. Amazing amounts of money have been raised put up places to establish communities and out of that now feeding the poor, caring for people, the church is beginning to have impact in city after city, town after town, where local councils say, hey it's the church that's doing it. That never was said in my early days when I was converted. Church just did its church stuff. Now it's beginning to grow, have impact, the life of God. So the story of Ezra and Nehemiah brings out lots of lessons and helps us on that journey. So I just want to read to you the first half dozen verses of Ezra 1. So in a sense, I'm going back to the beginning, but I hope there are some principles that will be a blessing to us. Now, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he sent a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing saying, Thus says King Cyrus of Persia, The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. He has appointed me to build him a house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever there is among you, of all his people, may his God be with him, let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem. Every survivor, at whatever place he may live, let the men of that place support him with silver and gold, goods and cattle, together with a freewill offering for the house of God which is in Jerusalem. Then the heads of the fathers' households of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and the Levites arose, even everyone whose spirit God had stirred to go up and rebuild the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem. All of those about them encouraged them with articles of silver, with gold, with goods, with cattle, with valuables, aside from all that was given as a free will offering. Father, thank you for this congregation, this people, every individual, Lord, you've gathered, you've knit together. You've made us a people who love worshipping you. 
And Father, we ask you now, according to your promise, that if we, being evil, don't know, uh, know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more shall the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? So we ask right now, Father, that the Holy Spirit will be our teacher, that he will come, that you will take this word, Lord, and live it, make it live in our hearts. Do us good through your truth, we pray, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, Cyrus speaks to the survivors. That's how he addresses them. All who survived. It's interesting identity. Uh, you survivors. And it's interesting to think about people as survivors. Survivors, I've called them survivors whose judgment is past. People who've come through and out the other side of this dreadful event of being banished from the land, living as refugees in a foreign nation, and, and, and they've now survived. And the new day is going to dawn. Uh, the new page is turning, a new chapter is starting, and there's this little nucleus who have survived all that's happened. They've come through it. And that's their identity, that's who they are. Survivors. We hear quite a lot about survivors these days. You hear about these extraordinary events, and because of the international nature of communication, of news, etc., you see some awful event, maybe right across the other side of the world, maybe it's an earthquake, maybe it's a tsunami, maybe it's a flood, maybe... A, we, we, these things, they're on our news week after week. We see these terrible events, say, wow! And then, and then, after a few days, you suddenly see, they've dug out somebody who was underneath all the rubble. And they've been under there for like three days. How did they survive that? How did they come out? Uh, and then you dug out and people cheer and clap and they're carried away and kind of look of wonder that, hey, we got through it. We got through it. The survival is an amazing thing. You know, you may, you may be one of those who got through it, but it's not that you're untouched. You know, survivors don't walk away and say, oh, that was good, I got away with that then. There's something I believe that happens to a survivor. I remember being, uh, seeing people being interviewed uh, after 9-11, where you know, thousands died when those planes smashed into those World Trade Centers. And they said, oh, we were just one layer, and we got out of I was the only one that survived from my office, that kind of thing. And, and it leaves a mark. Survival leaves a mark. It's not like, well, I got away with it, so jolly good. No, no, that, that's not like that. Something, something's happened to you when you survive. You feel a sense of wonder. Why did, why did I survive? And you can even feel a sense of destiny. Wow, I've been given my life again. It has impact on people. Survival is an extraordinary thing. So let's just look at this. What did they survive? Well, first of all, they survived warfare. That's what had happened. You'll read about it in detail at the end of the previous book, the last chapter of 2 Chronicles 38, talks about the terrible warfare. It says in verse uh, 19 of chapter 36, they burned the house of God, they broke down the wall of Jerusalem, they burned the fortified uh, buildings, the fire destroyed everything. Those who had escaped from the sword carried away to Babylon. And it, it talks about the terrible things that happened and the awful thing that these people survived it. They survived it. 
It says in Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 9, unless the Lord had left us a few survivors, we would have been like Sodom and Gomorrah. We would have been wiped out. That would have been the end of us. But the Lord left us a few survivors. They survived the war. And, and, and surviving war is a big deal. It's funny, we were just talking at breakfast this morning about uh, Wendy and Sue, who are sisters, uh, father who went to war in Burma in the Second World War. And uh, it's an amazing thing that he and his wife were married for like four or five weeks, then he was gone for four or five years into dreadful warfare in Burma. And when he came back, it was very hard to get him to talk about it. It was very hard to say, he said, what did you say? Well, I don't want to. No, it's all right. Forget it. Change the subject. But that's interesting because Melvin Bragg wrote a book called The Soldier's Return where he really kind of investigates the pressure of that. A story of a man who actually identical, went to Burma and came back and how hard it was to restore and to get him to talk. He didn't want to talk about it, but I got through it. I got through it. So many didn't. He didn't want to relive it. Maybe you saw Saving Private Ryan. Did you see that movie? What a film. Incredible story. And the whole story, really, about a guy whose, whose parents had lost, already lost, I think, two or three sons in this war, and there's this other one. He's out there. And, and, and there comes this word, go and, go and bring him home. This poor woman's losing all her family. And, and the whole story is going in search of Private Ryan to bring him home to get him out of this war, because the others have died already. And, and so you get this story of a little platoon that goes searching for Private Ryan and eventually find him. It's a very dramatic movie, to put it mildly. And at the end, it ends and it finishes. He's home, he's back. And then suddenly it changes to years and years later, where you see this old man, Private Ryan, who's been saved. And he's, and he's walking around, and he's looking at these these crosses in the ground, these many, many who died. And, and he turns to his family and he says to them, tell me that I was worth saving. Tell me it was worth it. Tell me that I lived something that was worthy. It's like, I was giving my life back. Did I, did I use it properly? Very moving moment. These men risked everything. Some of the squadron died trying to get him. And the, the end of the whole film is, was it worth it? Did I live a life? Tell me I lived a life that was worthy. That's the sort of thing that survival does. You think, God, I've been given a chance. I've got a, a, sense, of, a sense of destiny. I've got a stewardship, a purpose. I sort of owe a debt. That's what survivors feel. It's like, I've been given my life again. I owe a debt. I'm, I'm not here as a casual person. There's something about me. That's what survivors feel. So these guys, they'd survived the war. Many had been wiped out, and they've come through. They've also survived refugee lifetime. For 70 years, this whole nation had been away. They've survived being refugees in a foreign land where they weren't wanted, where there was no kind of political aid to help them. They're just, people didn't like them being around. They're just catchers of war. And they survived, they survived isolation. They survived not as honoured guests. They survived all that. Then they also survived, and maybe this is the main point, really. The war wasn't just any war, if I can put it that way. The war was God's judgment on Israel. 
God had said to Israel, come on, I've given you a land. I've given you a temple. I've given you my presence. I've, I've blessed you under David, Solomon. I mean, never was there a nation so blessed. Nations would come and visit just, wow, what a nation is this? Not only the Queen of Sheba, it says other kings and monarchs came to say, wow, wow, this is the blessed place on the earth. What a place this is. And instead of treasuring it, they just began to drift in 58 short years, 58 years from Solomon's kingdom to when Ahab and Jezebel, and Jezebel made the worship of Yahweh illegal. Illegal. We're not, we don't worship God anymore. We worship Baal. 58 years. That's shorter than our queen's monarchy. 50, the nation went down, 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 down. And all these prophets saying, where are you going? What are you doing? What are you doing? And in the end, God said, I'll remove you. And, and, and yes, I, there was warning after warning. If you don't repent, if you don't repent, you will be taken. Army will take you out of the land. And so it wasn't just, an, it wasn't just warfare. It was judgment on their adultery, their disloyalty, their social wickedness, their hypocrisy. And so these people were not just survivors of war, if I could put it that way. They were survivors of judgment. God had judged, but they're alive. I hope we begin to feel the relevance. God has judged, but we're alive. God has acted in judgment, but we've survived. We're survivors. We're a room full of survivors. But God has looked down and said, no, I'm going to judge. It's a bit like the Exodus. God came in the Exodus and God said, I'm going to wipe out every firstborn right across the nation. There's gross evil in Egypt. But he said, you put blood on the doorposts. Put blood on the doorposts. And when I come through, I'll pass over you. Israel came out as a company of survivors. That's what Israel is. Israel's a people. The people of God are a people who survived judgment. That's our identity. Judgment has passed and we've survived. God has judged, but he judged it in a lamb who died in our place. He judged our guilt. And all this is to teach us about the lamb that John the Baptist would say, look, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. All these Old Testament teachings, I'm going to judge. Now you take a lamb, it has to be a perfect lamb, a spotless lamb, no disease, and you kill the lamb and you put the blood. When I see the blood, I'll pass over you. You'll survive. Israel came out as a, a, a survivor nation. Now it's going to start again. It's like a second exodus. It's coming out of captivity in Babylon, a second, a, a second coming out from judgment. And beloved, that's what we believers are. We're people who've come out from judgment because Jesus took the shame, took the guilt, took the punishment, and we go free. Like Barabbas... We turn and said, remember me. You go free. You go free. He dies. Jesus took our place. We walk away free. Jesus stands in our place and we are released by this wonderful, wonderful judgment having been passed. We survive also with our identity. Right? We survive with our identity. What do I mean? It says... Let those who are his people. It talks about survivors, and it says, let those who are 
his people. That's a wonderful thing. You're still his people. We're still his people. And I love these stories in the Bible where you find like Simon Peter. And Jesus has just taken all the punishment and Peter has been an absolute waste of time. Chief apostle. Don't know him, not with him. Cursed and swore. Said, no, I don't know him, I don't know him, I don't know him. And he's dying in this place. No, I don't know him. And afterwards, Jesus comes searching for him, searching for him. Resurrection life. And there's Peter going fishing. And he hits this wonderful call from the beach. You caught anything? And he's prepared breakfast for him. It's like, Peter, you're still mine. You're still mine. Sometimes we get to the place we think, have I, have I blotted myself out? Have I blown it so much? There's been a lovely theme in the worship about our acceptance. and It's very important, beloved, to know, hey, I'm still his. I still belong. Those of his people. God wants to start a new day with you. Hey, you've been through it, but you're still his. Yeah. Somebody here this morning needs to hear that. Just need to know, no, you're still his. Maybe this morning you've come back. Maybe it's the first time back for a long time. Maybe you feel you've not done well lately. So important to know we're his because he wants us. <laughs> he initiated it. He's for you. He's for you. It's not how well you've done. Simon Peter was terrible. You say, wow, I wish I could get filled with the Spirit, but I don't know if I'm worthy. Simon Peter wasn't exactly worthy. He said, I'm not with him. I'm not with him. Then he's full of the Holy Spirit. How did that happen? Well, you're still his people. God's generous towards his people. He's kind and merciful. So we are survivors who still belong. But survivors don't just walk away like nothing happened. You really don't. I don't know, maybe you've seen on Remembrance Sunday, you see some of these really elderly people and you see the tears pouring down their faces because they can remember others who didn't survive. It's a costly thing, surviving. It's like, wow, I got my life back. I got my life back, got my life again. It says in Romans 6, don't go on presenting your members, the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourself to God as those alive from the dead. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you got another chance. You survived. Judgment's passed, you survived. Don't go on messing around. It's a new day. We're going to rebuild the city. God's going to have a great church. God's going to hit this nation. God will move in power. He's bringing, raising up people all over. You're part of that. Don't mess around with sin. You're alive from the dead. You survived. It's an amazing thing to survive. I saw a documentary on television once about the Blitz. And uh, there was a man speaking, an elderly man speaking. And you saw, you saw photographs too, and you saw these, these, these buildings, absolute on fire, just burning fire, just war up there. And this fireman standing there, and in the, in the background you hear this guy talking, and this is not a live picture of what happened, but he said, this is what happened to him. He said, I stood there for hours with this hose in my hand, and he said, it was almost like it was part of me, I was just holding it, and it, the heat... And the, it was freezing cold, but there's heat just standing there holding this thing. 
trying to stop this fire. I stood there for hours and hours and hours through the night. And he said, then, he said, my shift finished. He said, a guy tapped me on the shoulder and said, come on. And he said, I gave the hose to him. And he said, I walked away. As I walked away, he said, the wolf fell and killed him. Just killed him, just wiped out. He said, but I, I survived. That sense of, well, I, I, I could have been there. Just a few moments, I could have been there. Beloved, it's that sense that we should have. God's given me my life back. It's no small thing to be a survivor. He's given us our lives. We've been born again. Another life. We've survived judgment. That's who we are. We're, we're survivors for whom judgment is past. It really is behind us. Judgment has Jesus paid the price. We walk away free. We think, this is amazing, but we're free. We don't have to do stuff to get justified. Jesus has done it. We don't have to become religious. We don't have to become moral. We don't have to become... We just receive it and we live out in terrific response of thanksgiving, praise, worship. You gave me my life back. I'm not trying to earn anything from God. Jesus did it. He stood there. He said... No one takes my life from me, I give it. I lay down my life for you. The Father loves the Son because he gave his life for the flock. Hallelujah. We're in, we stand in the, in, the, in the freedom that he's provided for us with a new life. Amen? Is that true for us? Do you want to live like that? I want to live like that. I want to say, Lord, you gave me my life back. At the end of the, 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 the Private Ryan movie, I would love to say, Lord, was it? I hope it was worth it, Lord. Did I live a life that was worth it? He paid that price. Survivors whose judgment is past. And then moving on through the, through the story, they're, they're, they're seers with a vision for the future. Right? They're survivors whose judgment's past. They're seers with a vision for the future. They're seers. They, they can see something. There's something that moves them, motivates them. It says those who, whose spirit was stirred up. I love that phrase. Yeah. But not everybody went. 42,000 went. It says in Ezra 2, verse 64, 42,360 went. 42,000. It's like two Stoneleys. It's the whole of Israel. Sorry, Stoneley. There was like, uh, I think it were 16,000 of us. That was whatever it was in the end. It was... Uh, Anyway, it's not many people. <laughs> when they came out of Egypt, it was 2 million. Now we're down to 40,000. Not a very big town. This is the people of God in the world. <coughs> but they're seeing something. They're living with a vision. Something that's captured their hearts. And to be honest, that's what, that's what the people of God always have been. That God says something and we believe it. And often Israel's been, in Elijah's day, there's only 7,000 who haven't bowed the knee. Yeah. Only 7,000, it's right down. Israel sometimes, it says when and Samuel came along, the light had almost gone out. The beginning of the life of the Gospels, the Simeon and Anna, there's just a few righteous people when Jesus came. Just a few left. And that's how it's been. These times when yeah, a small, they've been a small group. We don't need to despise the day of small things. 
And so much that I've seen over the years, just tiny, tiny groups. I remember when we had one church in India. Now we've got scores of churches. I remember we had one church in South Africa. Now we've got scores. I remember we had one church in Mexico. Now we've got dozens. It's like I've seen it again and again. We started with something small. Faithful, hold on, let's believe God, let's press through. See us. People who say, no, it's going to happen. We believe in God. It's a faith venture. We're not just religious, we're believers. You get your eye on something. Vision captures your heart. What could happen? What God might do because of God's commitment. And that's the beginning of the whole thing. That's how it goes with, with, with Abraham. God came to an old guy. Abraham. He didn't come to Israel. Israel had 12 kids. God didn't say, my, you're pretty good. Right, 12 children. I think you can fill the earth. No, he came to Abraham. Who's kind of getting from, towards a hundred? And, and, and Sarah, who's barren, you think, what are you doing, Lord? Like, I will bless you. I will fill the earth. You know, all the families of the earth will be blessed through you. Huh? You know, and time goes by and nothing's happening. You know, 13 years. This is promise he's living with for 13 years. And it's not like God said, How old did you say you were? Oh, 99. Oh, well. And she's barren. Oh, wow. Well, well, forget it then. No, no. God knew. God knew when he made the promise. And then it says about a lovely Abraham. In Romans 4, it says, Abraham didn't weaken in faith when he considered his own body as good as dead. But it says he grew strong in faith, giving praise and glory to God, fully persuaded what God has promised he will also perform. Beloved, that's what believers are. That's what the church is. It's a company of people who believe God, who give him the glory, who say this can be done because he said he would do it. So we, that's, that's what a visionary, a vision is something that catches your heart. I'm told that, it, that Disney, when they built Disney World, not Disneyland, when they built Disney World, and there it was looking so fantastic and amazing, and Disney had died. And somebody said, what a shame, Walt Disney never got to see it. And someone replied, if he had never seen it, it wouldn't be standing here. You see, it's something, that's, that's Abraham. It says Abraham went out, he's looking for a, a city whose who's maker and builder is God. He, he's seen something. Yeah. He'd seen something. And it captured his heart and it changed him. And we are all children of Abraham. Yeah. That's who we are. There's something that captures your heart. And when you begin to get a longing for a restored church, it gets to you corporately. And you get to stirrings like where you are at the moment, where you're saying, what's the next phase for us? Yeah. Hey, are we going to build something for the glory? Are we going to put up a building? Are we going to have a presence? Are we going to take us further on to the next step? I've seen it happen again and again and again. So we suddenly feel identified more and more with these kind of stories because you get a vision of what could happen. And it begins to motivate you and stir you. And that's the whole story of Abraham and these other Bible heroes. They saw something... They grabbed it. Yeah. They just took faith as the assurance of the thing. Yeah. That I, I can't yet see it, but I know I've got it. That's, that's what vision and faith, that's what it's about. I imagine, I imagine it says Abraham went out not knowing where he was going. He didn't know where he was going, but I've seen it, I've seen it. I can imagine him having a conversation with Sarah when he said to Sarah, you know, I've seen a city, but I like her of the Chaldees. No, I've seen a better city. 
But we're leaving Ur of the, yeah, we're leaving Ur of the Camels. We're going to this city. I've seen a city. You know, then the first night, she's banging in the tent pegs, and she says, what are we doing in a tent? You told me you'd seen a city. I think you could answer, you're in the tent because I've seen the city. And that's why we come to all these kind of halfway houses. Hired rooms, hired schools. Why are you in? Well, I've seen the city. I've seen it. That's what keeps us going, beloved. We've seen it. It's something we've seen. We know God wants a glorious church. We know the Bible speaks again and again. It says, in the last days, the mountain of the house of the Lord shall rise above all the mountains and all the nations will flow to it. It's like a, a reflection of the promise of Abraham. All the families of the earth will be blessed. As the story goes on, it becomes Zion. It becomes the people of God. It becomes the house of God. It becomes the church of God. And it will rise above all the mountains. Communism, hey, who can overcome communism? What was communism? Do you still remember? At one point, oh, it's impossible. It's going to take over the world. I remember preaching when I first got filled with the Spirit, preaching on Brighton Seafront, and students coming out of Sussex University and saying to me, back in the 60s, ha, Christianity's finished, don't you know communism's going to take the world? We had these arguments on the seafront. Communism's going to take the world, and at that time it looked like it was. But whoops, where did it go? Islam, secularism, all these mountains demanding people's loyalty and that. The last days, God says, the mountain of the house of the Lord will rise above all the mountains and all the nations will flow to it. That is God's prophetic promise. That's what God said to Abraham. All the families of the earth will be blessed. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations. When you've done that, then the end will come. It's only a robust church that can go to all the nations. It's only a bright church that can do that. A cold, backslidden church. Then we're not going to send... When the, this, God is making his church come alive. We live with passion for that, with vision for that. So see us, there's something that captivates them, something that motivates them. And then Haggai said these wonderful things. The glory of this latter house shall surpass the glory of the former. You know, as you go through the story of Ezra and Nehemiah, I love these books. You find the disappointment, the setbacks, the heartaches, the mockery. Huh, who do you think you are? Trying to build a fox and run up, hold the whole thing all down. And then they just know, so we kept building. We kept building. Yeah. We kept building. Should such a man as I come down? Yeah. I'm about a great work. Yeah. So much like Jesus on the cross. We said, come and speak, Jesus on the cross. I am not coming down. I'm about a great oh. work. Nehemiah said the same. I'm about a great work. I'm yeah. not coming down. Yeah. And so they built the wall. They, built the, they kept building. Yeah. Arise and build. The Lord will give us success. Yeah. It's wonderful. It's a wonderful passage, wonderful truth for us to be captivated by. But it needs that vision. It needs, it needs us to be inspired by hope. That's why we need to keep digging into scriptures, digging into the word, finding the Holy Spirit helping us stimulating us so that we can be true children of Abraham. He considered his own body as good as death. He considered it. But he wasn't, we didn't weaken in faith. And the magnitude of the promise, he didn't, didn't tremble at it, but he grew strong in faith. He grew in faith.
even through the delay, it grew in faith. Fully persuaded. Let God persuade you. Fully persuaded. What God had promised, he's also able to perform. Yes. Amen? That's what's got to capture our hearts. When we gather to pray, God, you've given us promises. We pray back the promises. We step in the light of the promises. We keep pressing forward with the promises. God says, I want you to rebuild my house that I might take pleasure in it and that I might appear in my glory. That's what he wants. He wants to take personal pleasure in our, our being together in his name and that he might appear in his glory. When they built the house, they couldn't even go in God's glory. Okay, God wants to restore his glory to his house. Okay, so a, a seers with a vision for the future. Survivors whose judgments passed. Seers with a vision for the future. It's all there in these first opening verses. And then supporters whose commitment is in the present. Supporters whose commitment is in the present. It says, let these others support them. Support them. That's what we do in the present. And they supported them with silver and gold. Because you find waves going back. The first wave is Zerubbabel, then you find Ezra, then you find Nehemiah. Waves go. Some are still staying in the land. While they're comfortable where they are, they're not captivated by this desire to rebuild the house. But there are those who say, look, I'm not coming here. But then they come later. They come with Nehemiah. They come with Ezra. They come with second, third waves. But they support. They say, okay, we'll, we'll put our money where our mouth is. We'll say, yeah, I believe this. I'll support. I'm a supporter. Are you a supporter? Who do you support? I want to know what the Brighton score was. That's, the word, that's where the word supporter gets used most frequently. Was it Man United, or is it Chelsea, or is it Arsenal, or who do you support? I thought I, thought I was a Brighton supporter where, until I went and watched my son, uh, Tim, my youngest son, he was a brilliant striker, to be honest, and Alan Shearer was his big hero. And he played for Newcastle. And of course, we lived in Brighton, where there was no top-flight football. It was this Mickey Mouse football. And, uh, and he, oh, Alan Shearer, Alan Shearer. And Newcastle were playing uh, at Crystal Palace one week. And uh, uh, we, we, he said, can we go and watch? So I said, yeah, yeah, I'll take you to it. So we, we went up to Crystal Palace to see some real football. And I mean, it was hilarious, because I had never seen support like it in my life. I'd ne I mean, I used to go and watch Brighton as a little child, but, but Newcastle, I mean, it was before the game ever started, there's this whole block, and they're all away, they're away supporters. I mean, this is not the home crowd, they're away supporters. And they're all either totally in black and white or bare-chested. I mean, you know, just crazy. <laughs> Lunatic. And they're, they're absolutely going crazy. And the game hasn't even started. And they're singing and shouting. And I think, oh, that's, the, that's the away supporters. Uh, and then, and then, then they come out for the, ball, the, the players come out to kick a ball around just to warm up. And they go lunatic. And when the ball comes to Shearer, they're screaming. And I think, well, I'd never seen anything like it. Uh, and then it was so funny because uh, you're watching the game 
and these Newcastle fans are shouting all the time. And, and the home side, nothing much that. And then the home side had one attack. And they all, as home supporters, started cheering because they had an attack. And the Newcastle fans mocked them. They just laughed. Oh, you're supporting now? You have one attack. I mean, they've been going crazy and nothing's happening. And, and actually, Newcastle went in at half time, one down. It was one down. They were losing one nil at half time. And the, that's like, it's like they've, won, they've scored five. I thought, these are crazy supporters. He said, are you a Brighton supporter? Well, I'd like to know how they got on. You know, I was interested to hear they won again yesterday. You know, I'm a Brighton supporter. They, they won yesterday. They support and support, isn't it? These supporters, they're fanatics. That's, that, that's real support. I'm kind of mildly interested. If, if they get into the Premier next year, I mean, they're doing pretty well. Maybe I'll get more interested. I don't know. But, I mean, a real supporter's always there. You mean they travel away, they're crazy. They're just encouragers, they're involved. And that's, it takes that. You know, we've survived, we've been giving our lives back, we've seen something. As we go on, yeah, there'll be bills to pay. There'll be bricks to be put on one another. There'll be things to do. And that's where we translate all this sense of thank you, Jesus, yeah, I see something, into action in the present. You know, we're not taking an offering today. <laughs> but in days to come, there wouldn't have to be. We'll have to make, you know, have to believe God for it. And down in Brighton, I, I, we, we got a building originally for nothing. But when we got in it, we found, oh, good grief, the state of this old mission hall. Yeah, we, yeah, we're pouring in some thousands of pounds to do it up. Then when we bought the warehouse in the heart of Brighton, now we're starting to talk some bigger money. Every three times a year, we had to say, we're going to go for it again. Here we go again. Offering day. Here we go again. And in the mercy of God, we raised in the end a lot of, a lot of money. A lot of money. And to be honest, if there was a rich man in our church, I never met him. <laughs> we didn't have any rich people. But we, we raised it, and we did it. And that, people all over the country now are, have that testimony. We did it. Because we meant business, and we began to dig and give. And it says, let them give a free will offering. It's a free will offering, verse 6, verse 4. Let them make a free will offering. It is free will, there's no compulsion. And Paul, I love the passages in uh, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, and Paul says, I, I'm not commanding you in this. It's a, it's a free will. It's something, every, it's a, Paul says in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 8, every man must give what he's made up his own mind about. So you don't do it carelessly, you make up your mind. You think about it in advance. Maybe husband and wife say, hey, we've got to look at this. We get, we, what can we budget for? I know, I know in the church I was in in Brighton for 30 years, I know people made big choices. Big choices. Like, we were going to do that. You know, the conservatory, but hey, we'll forget it going in. Well, we were going to do that, but come on, this is, this is more important. Some big choices were made. And, and we, we say, right, I'm in, I'm, count me in. Are you in? <laughs> Are you going to take it seriously? See, take up, make up your mind. 
That's what Paul says. No compulsion, but you make up your mind. So think about it in advance. Ponder it. When these gift days come up, as I dare say they will, just want to encourage you. That it says they were supporters. They, they, you put, you know, it's not what happens to be in your pocket at the end. Of, it's no, let's make up our mind. Let's ponder it. Let's give it serious thought. It's part of our devotion. Part of our devotion. I remember when we were doing this at home, and uh, one time, I, I remember John, we were back in John Major's day, and uh, John Major used to have this um, saving thing called a Tessa. Do you remember the Tessa? You was not older than me. Well, these days it's ISAs and things, but it was a Tessa. And a Tessa, you could, you, could in, you could save and you wouldn't have to pay tax. So you had to save something every month. And uh, back went for seven, seven years, uh, a seven-year Tessa. And, uh, you know, after seven years it matures. And I remember we were coming up for a gift day, and my Tessa is the seven-year... I'm trying to be a good father, husband, look after my family, whack it in the Tessa every month. And my Tessa's coming to maturity. And the gift day's coming up. And I remember it very vividly, because we were singing this song in the worship. We were singing the worship, and that's why worship's so powerful, eh? Worship, lovely worship like you've had this morning. You're meeting with God. We're not just singing a few songs. We're meeting with God. And I remember we're worshipping. We're just worshipping. And, uh, and I'm rather conscious that this is happening, that, hey, the gift day's coming up soon, and Tessa's coming up. Mm. And, I, and I, I'm worshipping, and I'm praying, and I'm praising God. And, and, and we're singing this old John Wimber song. And, it's, and it goes, uh, I will worship, I will worship, with all of my heart, with all of my heart. And then, because the boys and girls, and, and it comes this line, just, and it says, I'll give you everything. And the girls sing it, give you everything. And the Lord said to me, oh, thanks, I'll have the Tessa. So <laughs> it's like, it's like, you can keep the rest, I'll have the Tessa. So it went in the offering. It went in the offering. Because I said, I'll give you everything, Lord. He said, thanks, I'll have the Tessa. Yeah, well, I'm in. I'm in. We're in. And some of you will make choices like that. You will say, we were going to do that, but hey, come on, we're going to get... This is more important. This is the house of God. This is God's purpose. This is God. God's given us. We started with a little family, two, few, three families. God's added us in, brought us out of waves of people. And God's building us, building us. We're filling this room. God's showing us the next step. We're going for it. It means, ultimately means, come on, we're in. We mean business. I want to encourage you, beloved, to express, no, we're real supporters. It's not like next week, how are they getting on down there? They're making money, they're getting it through. No, how did we go? What did it go? I'm in on it. I'm a real supporter. I'm a Newcastle fan. <laughs> you know, we mean it. We're in on it. It matters to us. It matters to us. And so, beloved, this is what I see in this lovely, lovely story. And it says this. It's a pleasing sacrifice to God. It's a pleasing sacrifice to God. It's a free will offering. It's an offering. It's, it's, it's not, oh, let's have a whip round. It's part of our worship. We're saying, God, I love you. And, and, and Paul says in the New Testament, with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. 
In Philippians 4.18, having received what you sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing. Well-pleasing. Yeah, what we're doing, well, we're helping to get this next phase in our life together as a church. We're going on into this building. We're doing this. But actually, it's all for God. It's for God. It's a, it's a pleasing sacrifice. Lord, receive this. Receive that. We do it for you, Lord. You're part of this. It's all for you. It's all about you, Jesus. That's our desire. That's our longing. We're survivors. God's given us our life back. Let's make our lives count. Amen? Lord, I want uh, my life to count. I want my life to count. Let's pray. Perhaps we could stand to pray and the band could perhaps come up and we'll close the meeting with some, a worship song. Just pray, shall we? Lord Jesus, we thank you that you went right down into death. We thank you you tasted death for us. You endured. You went outside the gate bearing shame. We praise you so much, Lord. We're so grateful. We're so grateful that you, Lord, you died that we might walk away free. You died so we survive. We thank you, Lord. We, we walk away. We're just free. We thank you, Simon Peter, Lord. He walked away free. It was, he's still alive. He still belongs. Thank you, Lord. Some of us, maybe this morning, think, have I, have I, have I lost it? Have I, have I even lost my salvation? God, God is saying his people you're still his person you're still the beloved of God just someone needs, really, someone needs to hear that here this morning it's, you may feel I've, bl- I've really blown it I know I have his people survive his people survive just let him embrace you afresh Give him your life afresh. Mm-hmm. Say, Lord, thank you so much that I, I know I messed up. I've dishonored your name. I, I've, really not, I've really dishonored your name. What I've done has brought dishonor. And Lord, I, I'm just full of amazement that you still want me. Mm-hmm. That's what it was. Simon Peter dishonored Jesus terribly. But he still wanted him. Mm-hmm. Still wanted him. He, was, he has survived. It's wonderful to be a survivor and to be a seer. I want to encourage you, don't, don't just let others pull the vision along. Get, let the vision grow in your heart. You be a seer. You say, look, look let's believe together what God's going to do. What is God going to do here? We carry this with faith together. When we gather to pray, we believe together. We see what God's after. Let me encourage you. Let's be real, real supporters. We're in. We're really in. We, we, we wear the colours. We're identified. We mean business. Yeah. We get the season ticket. We're right in. Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank, I want to thank you for the history of the church here. Thank you for the way you've led and blessed. 
thank you, Lord, for Graham and Sue and others, Lord, leaders that you've gathered, people you've brought through, every small group leader, these great worship leaders, people looking after our children right now, people who've helped us set up, Lord, all the hard work behind the scenes. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for everyone. Thank you for people loving our kids, teaching them, even as we're speaking. Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you. Lord, help us to press on to everything you have for us. Lord, we want to see your glory. We want to see hundreds across Ashford come to know you. We want to see your name famous. We want to see the house of the Lord rise up, rise up. We want local councils to say, what, what is this people? What are they, how come? How can they do all this? What's going on here? Jesus, get the glory, we pray. Get the glory in Ashford and neighborhood. Be exalted, be glorified. Give us courage, faith, tenacity. See this thing through for your great praise. In Jesus' name, amen.